From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, vitreomacular traction and diabetic macular edema. One mechanism is the, the role of improved transventrial oxygenation. First this. Imagine a library of 100,000 books in subjects that interest you and subjects that don't. The books of this library are arranged, bizarrely, by publisher and date of publication. How useful would such a library be to you? How soon would you give up on trying to find a book that really interested you? ASCRS's impressive online content has been a little like that library until now. The new ASCRS Center for Learning at ASCRS.org slash learn organizes the vast and growing ASCRS online content, podcasts, and CME offerings into a unified, searchable whole so that we can find the material we want in the format that best suits us. Go to ASCRS.org and click on Center for Learning or go directly to ASCRS.org slash learn. When I think about transformative technologies in ophthalmology, OCT comes to mind first. It has changed the way I practice and the way that I think about many ophthalmic pathologies. But like many new powerful technologies, OCT has fostered more questions than it has answered. Those astute among us may have recognized vitreomacular traction, but certainly none would have identified vitreomacular adhesion in the absence of traction before the advent of OCT. This newly recognized entity has been studied in its relation to diabetic retinopathy and the role of anti-VEGF agents by Yasser Sapa, and I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Sapa as my guest today. Your study examined data generated in the Reed study, specifically the Reed 3 study. Before we discuss your particular project, can I get you to describe the Reed study? Yeah, of course. Uh, the Reed studies um, actually are a group of three studies in succession. Reed 1 was the first study in which, uh, in around 10 patients, Renabizumab. Uh, was 0.5 milligram of ranibizumab uh, was evaluated for the treatment of DME. It went on to uh, the READ2 study, which was a multi-center uh, clinical trial. Um, and uh, that study had three arms, one laser only, the other one uh, was uh, injection only, which was again ranibizumab, and the third one was uh, laser, injection after laser. Uh, so, and that was a... Um, almost a three-year, became a three-year study. Uh, we eventually moved on to the read 3 study, uh, the current one. Uh, this is a phase two uh, randomized, double-vast, uh, multi-central clinical trial that was designed to evaluate and compare uh, the effects of two different doses of ranibizumab. That's the 0.5 and the 2 milligram in eyes with DME. Uh, patients in both groups received an intravitreal injection of ranibizumab at baseline and then month 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 started at month 6 
the patients, which was all the primary endpoint as well, uh, the patients started receiving uh, injections on a PRN basis, uh, and the decision whether to treat the patient or not, um, month six onwards, was based on a retreatment criteria. So that, in a nutshell, is the read three pro the read studies program, and uh, then the read three study. The focus of your study was on patients with vitreomacular adhesion. Now, this is one of the category of pathologies called vitreomacular interface disease. Can I get you to discuss this class of disease and its relationship to the treatment of diabetic macular edema? Uh, yeah, so vitreomacular interface diseases uh, have been reported to occur in up to in different uh, studies they've been reported from 7 to 16 percent of the eyes with DME uh, with an annual incidence of 4.5 percent. The annual incidence doesn't seem to be that high of 4.5 percent but when you take into account the actual diabetic population which is almost touching 30 million right now in the world that becomes a huge percentage then. Uh, This category of pathologies include uh, vitromacular traction epiretinal membrane, uh, the vitromacular adhesion. These are the three main uh, diseases in uh, which, which fall into this category. And the role of vitromacular traction and ERM in affecting treatment outcomes um, in patients with DME has been reported previously. Um, this, uh, however, when we looked around, there were no reports in literature um, which had evaluated the role of adhesion um, in this particular patient population. So our main focus was to uh, see how do patients with vitromacular adhesion do um, or respond to ranibizumab when treated with ranibizumab for DNA. Can I get you to discuss the design of your study and the inclusion and exclusion criteria? Yeah, so as I I had mentioned initially that the study was uh, divided into two groups, the 0.5 and 2 milligram. Patients received six consecutive injections starting at baseline at one-month intervals. Uh, Patients with um, an OCT thickness of 250 micron on stratus OCT, which is time domain OCT, um, were included in the study. Uh, there is a long list of inclusion and exclusion criteria, but the main criteria included an OCT thickness of 250 micron or more on um, on the time domain OCT. Uh, and the one exclusion that we that is pertinent to uh, our sub study was vitromacular traction, and from the beginning of the D3 study. Uh, vitrectomized eyes were also excluded. Uh, The primary endpoint of the study was month six, and then at month six, every patient was evaluated, and if the rectal thickness, central subfield thickness, was more than 250 on the time domain OCT, or if there was fluid visible on spectral domain OCT, which was a spectralis in, in this particular case, the patients were retreated with the respective uh, dose that was assigned initially to that particular patient um, until month 24. So the study actually has two phases where it's baseline to month six, where we give everyone received six injections um, 
starting month six to month 24, um, it was a, on the PRN basis. Um, every month patient was, patients were evaluated and then a decision was made based on that retreatment criteria where the patient should receive any treatment or not. How was the diagnosis of vitreomacular adhesion made and what constituted focal versus broad vitreomacular adhesion? Uh, so, the uh, diagnosis of vitromacular um, adhesion was made using spectral domain OCT images. Uh, the images were graded by uh, two graders using a defined criteria, um, and all the images that we had were classified into VMA positive and VMA negative. Uh, presence of Vitromacular adhesion was defined as an elevation of the perifoveal vitreous cortex from the retinal surface along uh, the attachment, along with the attachment of the vitreous cortex at the center of the fovea. Um, and we made sure that there is no secondary detectable changes in foveal contour um, or any underlying retinal tissue. Um, VMA. Uh, Coming back to your question about the broad versus focal, uh, VMA was classified by size of the actual adhesion uh, into either focal, which meant that the size of the adhesions, adhesion in a two-dimensional space was less than 200 micron. It was considered broad if that particular attachment or adhesion um, was more than 1,500 microns. What were your main outcome measures? And Yasser, what were your, your results? What were your findings? Uh, so the main outcomes were looking at um, we, the primary end. We had analyzed the primary endpoint already. And we went back and we were trying to figure out uh, what, how would these patients in this particular um, um, sub-study uh, what would be the response to therapy? And we went along with the primary endpoint endpoints of the study, picked the, picked the same endpoints, trying to figure out how these patients were responding, which was visual acuity change in visual acuity from baseline to month six. Um, that was our primary endpoint. The secondary endpoint that we also looked at was uh, the change in central subfield thickness from baseline in month six in the patients. Uh, which who, who had vitromacular adhesions at the beginning of the study versus patients who did not have any vitromacular adhesion at the beginning of the study. 152 eyes were randomized in the read 3 study. Uh, 124 eyes were eligible for the study based on the uh, sub-study criteria. 28 eyes uh, did not meet the study criteria and we had to exclude them from the study. At baseline, uh, 26 patients were classified as uh, patients who were VMA positive or had vitromacular adhesions. Uh, and another 98 patients were classified as VMA negative. Uh, the distribution of the two doses of uh, ranibizumab, which is the 0.5 and the 2 milligram, the two groups was similar. And at month six, uh, we observed a mean improvement in the best corrected visual acuity of 11 um, plus 11 almost 11 letters um, in the VMA positive group uh, and around 
seven letters in the VMA negative groups. And uh, the, it, the, the difference between the two groups was statistically uh, significant. We also found uh, that there was a decrease in the OCT thickness, of course, in both groups following the results of the main study. However, there was no statistically significant difference between the retinal thickness decrease in the two uh, groups. And uh, I would even say that the central lateral thickness was off only by 10 microns, which uh, was within the error, um, the chances of error for that particular uh, device. Given what is known about the influence that vitreomacular traction can have on the efficacy of anti-VEGF agents in this context, were you surprised that the presence of vitreomacular adhesion did not prove detrimental to treatment results for these patients? It's, it's a very good question. That the spontaneous resolution in DME is, uh, in different reports, um, it's seen in around 55% of the eyes. Um, uh, which develop PVD compared to 25% uh, in in the eyes which do not uh, develop PVD. So I want to throw that number out before I go into the different mechanism responsible for the improved outcomes in terms of the central retinal thickness. Uh, several authors have studied uh, this particular phenomena um, uh, quite vigorously um, and one mechanism is the, the role of improved transventrial oxygenation after vitreous detachment. And that's one of the possible me mechanisms. And it's thought that the oxygenation of the retina in the areas where there is a vitreous, when there is a vitreous detachment increases somehow. And that uh, oxygenation, increased oxygen leads to, of course, decrease in hypoxia and then uh, decreases the uh, leads to a cascade of changes which leads to decreasing macular edema. The other hypothesis is that uh, whenever that, that, that there is uh, uh, an increased concentration of uh, growth factors in the in the pre-macular hyloid um, which is secondary to enzyme mediated um, collagen cross-linking in the vitreous and Detachment of the posterior hyaloid in these eyes may remove uh, this reservoir of growth factors uh, from the vicinity of the retina. Um, and in this case, the growth factor would be the VEGF. Um, if, an, if there is increased VEGF in an eye being produced, uh, we feel that the vitreous actually keeps that VEGF um, in a concentrated form very close to the retina, and that may when once the vitreous detaches, the connection, that particular reservoir is removed from the vicinity of the retina and therefore it may again lead to improved outcomes. However, these are hypotheses. Um, we don't know um, if one or the other mechanism um, works. It may be possible, it's possible that both mechanisms are wrong and it's possible that both play some sort of a role in, in improving uh, in, in, the, in the eyes with DME who improve after PVD. Several of the patients in your study underwent spontaneous posterior vitreous detachment during the course of follow-up. Do you feel that this was related to the administration of the anti-VEGF agent? We don't think so. Um, I don't think it was the 
um, anti-VEGF agent because the mechanism of action of ranibizumab, um, we have not come across um, anything that would suggest that uh, it will have uh, a degradative pro uh, properties and somehow will be able to cause a PVD. Based on your findings, Yasser, have you altered the way that you manage patients with diabetic macular edema who demonstrate vitreomacular interface disease? Um, of course. Um, my uh, mentors, both Quan and Diana, who are um, who see a lot of diabetic patients, patients with diabetic retinopathy and diabetic macular edema, uh, initially used to, um, as everyone, think that these patients with VMA may, uh, may either require treatment once the VMA develops into a PVD or um, they may require more injections to receive the same type of um, visual improvement. However, now um, they have be, they've started treating patients where they see vitromacular adhesions and we can uh, have a very frank conversation with our patients letting them know that research has now shown that those patients actually have a better chance of improving um, as compared to eyes who do not have um, VMA. It's really interesting stuff, Yasser. This is a really, really cool study. Yes, I want to thank you very much for being so generous with your with your time and, and, and for sharing uh, this really cool stuff with us. Yeah, of course. Uh, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to speak to you. Yasser Sapa comes to us from the Department of Ophthalmology and Visual Sciences at the University of Nebraska Medical Center in Omaha, Nebraska. His paper, Effect of Vitreomacular Adhesion on Treatment Outcomes in the Ranibizumab for Edema of Macula in Diabetes, Read 3 study, appears in the February 2016 issue of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Sapa or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As seen from here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.